0: Hi, my is Andrew Lightburn and I'm an Associate Director in the MKB Employment Team. This is the uh, the first podcast for the Employment Legal Lounge, where we will look at what is interesting in the news headlines from an employment aspect and look at the law behind the headlines. I'm joined today by my colleague, Katie Bell, who's a paralegal in our employment team. Hi, Andrew. And also by Rachel McBrinn, also a paralegal in our employment team. Hi, Andrew. So. Uh, Rachel, uh, what has caught your attention in the news?
1: Well, Andrew, um, what sort of caught my attention was Cristiano Ronaldo's televised 90-minute interview with Piers Morgan. Um, This aired in November and essentially drew the curtain on the player's second coming at Manchester United. As he stated, he had no respect for Eric Ten Hag and launched an attack on his then employer, the Man United club. So it has been reported that um, due to the interview, the club was exploring the possibility of dismissing Ronaldo. Um, Yet within days, Manchester United announced that both parties had agreed to terminate the contract and um, subsequently the Glazer family, who own the club, have since released a statement seeking new investors. So I suppose the employment question here is, is bad-mouthing your employer on a global platform the best way to plan a resignation? Um, Or what are the legal impacts of the employee? Can the employer subsequently bring a claim?
0: Yeah, so I mean, this is an interesting one. I mean, the starting point is that often with Premier League footballers, in particular, world famous footballers like Ronaldo, um, it can be forgotten that they are employees, just like anyone else of uh, of, of their club. So it'd be no different from me or you doing a press or a media uh, sort of statement uh, where we bad mouth our employer. Uh, there's going to be consequences. Um, particularly when Ronaldo was uh, criticising his uh, his manager um, and also the coaches and the club itself. So it's no surprise that Ronaldo was suspended and then they're looking at, into a disciplinary. But there's probably more to this, and that is that Ronaldo's reportedly on half a million pounds a week. so And he's not playing very well, apparently. So the club... You know, whilst they were within the rights to potentially uh, look at disciplining him or terminating his contract, they would obviously be potentially quite interested in offloading that, that salary. From Ronaldo's point of view, I understand that he is uh, unhappy with the way that he's being treated. So he he's also wanting to get out. So uh, it may be mutually uh, beneficial, really, for uh, a deal to be done. I understand a deal uh, has been done where there's no doubt some money being paid uh, to Ronaldo... But both parties potentially happy with that situation. But, yeah, you know, for any employers out there where an employee might say something on social media, bad mouthing their managers or colleagues, then, yeah, it can give grounds to for disciplinary action um, or potentially dismissal. So it is an interesting case, but certainly Ronaldo, Ronaldo's uh, stature on the world stage that um, has highlighted that. But maybe something good for both parties there. Um, Katie, what have you seen this this week?
2: Yes, uh, it was quite big in the news and it's definitely well talked about this week even in my own household it's um, presenter John Irwin from Channel 4's Place in the Sun um, very well loved TV series it's been going for many years um, unfortunately Channel 4 have decided to cut his presenting role um, after his announcement of terminal cancer. It began as a lung cancer diagnosis, but unfortunately um, for John, it has now spread to his brain, which it's, it's extremely tragic. Um, The exhibition group that would tour and show the escape to the country and the place in the sun, they have kept him on to travel around the UK, but for TV and his presenting role, he is now cut. Where does Channel 4 stand as an employer in the case of an internal diagnosis? And for employers out there, aside from media employers, where do they stand, especially with terminal diagnosis and the topic of cancer?
0: Yeah I mean obviously firstly obviously a very sad uh, sad story there. Um, but the first thing is you know you're looking at disability discrimination is the first thing mm-hmm. that, that comes to mind there. Um, cancer is one of those conditions where it's a, a point of diagnosis disability. So unlike other conditions where would, employers would have to go through a legal test to establish whether someone was disabled, uh, cancer is automatically a disability. Now uh, you then look at, for example, quite often with presenters in, um, in the media, they may not be employees as such, they may be self-employed contractors. So would that alter the position? Probably not. In terms of discrimination, contractors um, you know, may fall within the protection of the Disability Discrimination Act. If Channel 4 have terminated his employment purely because he got cancer, then it would be discrimination. But I had a little uh, look into, into this. And Anderson, what Channel 4 was saying was that they had to cancel his contract because they couldn't get uh, travel insurance. So obviously his role right. is to go abroad and present these programmes, but if they couldn't get travel insurance, then essentially he'd be prevented from doing that. So potentially uh, this could be what we call a, um, a discrimination arising from disability issue. And it is possible for an employer to justify the discrimination by saying that we can't get someone to insure you because of your um, your condition. Um, I understand at the time that it happened as well that COVID was quite prevalent and that may have affected the possibility with his condition as well. So that's uh, so an interesting point in terms of the the fact that he was still allowed to to do the road shows. Again, that may go to the insurance that he can still do stuff in the UK but they couldn't get insurance from to go abroad. But overall, there is a, certainly uh, an issue there of disability discrimination that would need to be explored uh, if it was an employer, um, you know, dealing with an employee with a similar sort of sec- set of circumstances. But, yeah, uh, an interesting uh, story there. Um, uh, Rachel, your second one.
1: Yes. Um, so, Andrew, what I've uh, come across once again is... Um I guess it's a slightly controversial story. So it's um, actually Elon Musk who completed his $44 billion um, Twitter takeover back in October and has since made some controversial decisions regarding the running of the site. Um, So soon after he'd taken over, um, Musk started gutting Twitter's rank and file staff. Um, He laid off an estimate of 50% or upwards of 3,700 employees from the company. Twitter informed its staff that um, layoffs would happen by 9am on a Friday in a company-wide email. So um, online safety groups and campaigners have also expressed concerns about Musk's plans to allow more free speech on the site and reverse permanent bans given to uh, other controversial figures including Donald Trump, Kanye West and the controversial clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson as users of the social media platform. Um, So essentially, What's come out of this is that the European Union has threatened it could ban Twitter unless Elon Musk abides by its strict content moderation rules. So I suppose um, assessing that um, from sort of an an employment perspective is... Is mass dismissal ever a good idea? I mean, I'm, I'm aware of compromise agreements in, in the sense of um, maybe sort of larger layoffs of staff, but is Elon likely to face mass tribunal claims amid his purchase and restructuring of the global social media platform?
0: Yeah, well certainly uh, uh, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding um, Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and what he's done uh, with it since. Um, with getting rid of so many employees, if, if this was in um, Northern Ireland, then uh, there'd be really big risks in terms of dismissing that, that number of employees without any proper process. So it's important for employers to follow uh, an established process in terms of consulting with employees and perhaps selecting employees uh, before they're made redundant. But the big thing that springs to mind is uh, what we call collective consultation. And that is where uh, if you're you're looking to propose to uh, make more than 20 people redundant, then you have to uh, collectively consult. And what we mean by that is consult with their trade unions where there isn't a trade union, then having the employees elect representatives from each of their perhaps sort of departments to discuss with uh, managers um, about the redundancies. And a failure to do that is uh, quite painful for employers because potentially the employees could get what we call a protective award. And it could be either, you know, it could be up to 90 days gross pay per employee. So, Musk, in this situation, potentially he could have been, if he, if this was in Northern Ireland, on the wrong end of a very large compensation bill, indeed, if he hadn't have done some consultation. Mm. Um, but as in, um, you may recall the, the PO situation, Yes. yes. Um, what most employers will do is they will offer the employees a sum of money under a compromise agreement. So a deal essentially to buy off their rights, um, usually far more money than they would get if they actually went to an employment tribunal. And I understand that's what uh, Musk did. He, he was offering them, I think, three months pay, which was more than they were entitled to under I think, California law. Um, And similar in in p and situation, they did the same. So there's only ever sort of a few people actually sort of went to tribunal and that may have been, you know, potentially politically motivated by their trade unions or whatever. Um, So, yeah, if that had happened in Northern Ireland, there's likely to have been some significant employment tribunal claims, uh, certainly. Um, Katie...
2: I found quite an interesting story um, written by journalist Tom Brown for The Mail Online. He has discovered a French legal case where the employee wins the legal right to be boring at work. Um, I love that line. I love that line, to be boring at work. Um, (laughs) But he has won the legal right to be boring at work after being mocked by colleagues for declining after work trips to the local pub. Um, Employee of Cubic Partners, a consultancy firm in France, encourage staff to attend after-work drinks and use this kind of casual approach to improve social relationships and see it as a kind of team-building. Brown writes that an employee who defied this uh, is known as Mr. T. He was entitled to critical behaviour and to refuse company policy based on the incitement to partake in various excesses. Um, Even more surprising, the company decided to fire him in 2015 for professional inadequacy for this refusal of going to the pub with his fellow colleagues. Accusing Mr T of being a boring employee um, and refusing to attend, as I said before, the Paris Court of Cassation has ruled that Mr T had a right to refuse these parties and has also ordered cubic partners to pay out £2,574 to the claimant. Um, However, as a follow-up of this morning, uh, Mr T has requested another hearing um, for the sum of three hundred ninety-five thousand six hundred thirty pounds in damages. So, Andrew, in this case, um, does an employer ever have the right to demand workers to attend after-work drinks? And outside of the office, is this considered a work shift?
0: Wow, what a story. (laughs) Uh, My first question is... (laughs) He's claiming nearly four hundred thousand pounds in damages. How will he celebrate? <laughs> um, and th- this is this has quite a few dimensions to it, um, and quite often you see in, in in sort of similar cases in the UK that there can be a discrimination side to it. So quite often it might be sex discrimination in terms of perhaps um, female employees who are primary carers for their children who uh, can't go on these late night sort of uh, parties that are going on um, or that by the sounds of this it was quite potentially a laddish kind of culture and again those are the sort of things that would lead to claims for sex discrimination. Equally there's been some more recent uh, cases or or, or claims in the UK where there's been a um, religious dimension to it in the sense of where because of someone's religion that they don't want to drink they don't drink alcohol yeah. and um, therefore they don't feel comfortable going to um, sort of all these business development mm-hmm. uh, networking do's and, and things like that so there's various dimensions that it, it could be potentially discrimination but here uh, there's no suggestion of that it's just he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that sort of wants to party and um, but employers can't force that um, upon people, you know, unless it's part of the job description, which in this case it, it wouldn't be. It just seems that it's more of a, a cultural thing, and they they're sort of trying to do sort of team bonding and all the rest of it. But I did had a have a chance to sort of to, to have a look at that article, and you know, there's a number of things that they were doing sort of in the office and, and everything else. It, it it does seem as though it was sort of um, bordering on. And in, in in some in some aspects potentially sort of sexual harassment and, and things that like oh, references to sharing beds on nights out and I don't know <laughs> Um <unusual>. I know <laughs> very 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 odd but no so an employer um, they can only go so far in what they can expect their employees uh, to do dismissing someone for not attending um, uh, this kind of after work team bonding. Um, Sort of thing would be uh, likely to be found to be unfair uh, if it was in the UK. If it was part of the job description, so if it was, say, if you were sort of a business development manager and you didn't like going to late night events, that could be a bit of a problem because that's kind of potentially what business development people do. And
1: it's expected of um, you, sort of. Yeah, you role to represent so outside could, of business hours. Is that
0: exactly? So I mean, mm. that that could um, affect your performance. But if it's just that he wasn't. Basically wanting to be part of the team, then it's going to be difficult to really sort of argue uh, that, particularly when the excesses that were being talked about were, um, you know, quite extreme. But you know, a really sort of um, sort of interesting one there. And you know, and the thing that immediately got sprung to my mind when I was reading this about the employer. Sort of wanting to party, and Mr. T not wanting was the the old Venger Boy song. Uh, we <laughs> like to party. Um, you know, would probably be playing in the background as they have their court case.
1: Mr. T has the right not to party. <laughs> right
0: to well, that's video. right. And I think the other the other thing just to mention is that the the French court touched upon human rights in this. So they they talked about his freedom of expression and his right to a private life, which are all matters from um, the human rights uh, act. And that could be true. He has the right to have a quiet night at home and not have to get up to this sort of debauchery or whatever that they were doing. So a really interesting uh, one to end on there. Uh, That is the last story in this inaugural uh, podcast for Employment Legal Lounge.
2: Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Employment Legal Lounge for MKB Law. Stay up to date with our podcast via our social media platforms and website.